from Wakefield. It's the Nolan Car Night Show, inviting you to join Nolan and his guest this week on Canada's greatest luminaries, Mark Dolan. And now, ladies and gentlemen, here's Nolan. And welcome back, ladies and gentlemen, to another edition of the show. And last week I spoke to one of Toronto's own, and now this week I'm speaking to one of Canada's very own, one of the top tier uh, content releasers or promoters of the legendary music that is of the group that we talked about today, but also entertainment and so many other things. He is also the birthday man. So everyone out there, um, wish him a happy birthday in the comment section below or wherever you may tune into this episode. It's a great thrill and privilege to welcome on not just another Beach Boys fan, but the author of an amazing book, 50 Sides of the Beach Boys, the songs that tell their story by Mark Dillon, who is our guest today. Mark, thank you for coming on. Thanks, Nolan. Thanks so much for having me on. Well, it's, it's always a treat. And as I just said, there's a lot that's gone on, not just, you know, over their career, but specifically more recently, as well as the last 10 years since you wrote about the book. And anyone who's had a front review to this and, and your aspect is certainly something to do. I mentioned sort of, you know, you write about music and o- other aspects of entertainment as part of your um, written career. For you to write about things such as the music industry or the entertainment industry that was really, you know, affected by the last three years of craziness to now see people go out and enjoy it again. What's that been like from your perspective? Well, I mean, personally, I haven't I haven't seen too many concerts. Uh, I did see the Beach Boys, actually. Um, We tend to go to Cape Cod for our summer vacation. So uh, the Beach Boys happen to be this is the Beach Boys led by Mike Love and Bruce Johnston. They happen to be playing at the Cape Cod Melody Tent. So, of course course i'm gonna go see them and it was uh, it was a great show and i, I guess uh, a little bittersweet in, in retrospect because uh, we have heard uh, recently that scott totten who did a great job as the musical director uh, for uh, for that band uh has uh, walked away from it after i think 18 years or yeah. or something like that that he was doing that um so i'm glad that i got to see scott one last time because i think he uh, really maintained uh a high level of musicianship sure. uh, with that band. I was going to ask, what was the first concert or movie or something that you saw in public when everything wasn't as, as crazy and you sort of said the Beach Boys? Um, well, I'm a big movie guy. I mean, I'm probably even a bigger movie guy than a music guy. Um, so it didn't take me long. Whenever there were pockets in, in Toronto when things were open throughout the pandemic, you know, I I, I would take advantage. I would go. So, I, you know, I didn't have much... Uh, you know, reluctance to uh, to get sure. back to the movie theaters, but I, I'm starting to get back in the concert groove. Like I have tickets for uh, um, Robert Plant and Alison Krauss mm-hmm. coming to Toronto this summer. I like their stuff. So uh, I guess it's just, it just takes a little bit of time to get sure. back into your, uh, your routine of, of, of attending these kind of events. Sure. Well, when I, it was, it was just weird this past summer when I saw, um, was it, yeah, this past summer, I think I saw Sammy Hagar and George Thorogood and that was an interesting concert, but also, Beach. I saw Brian this summer with Chicago. It was just weird because you you forget the time that was gapped in between where nothing was happening. The next thing you know, it's all back to normal. We'll, we'll go more to the specifics later. But you know, as a kid growing up in Canada, far away from the sunny Southern California lifestyle that the Beach Boys sing about, you know, positively or negatively for the last sixty years. For someone who's not growing up on the coast, who's not um experiencing palm trees or anything of that nature what was it about yourself and your cousins that introduced you to that music that made you such a fan well it, it's funny because people are sometimes surprised for some reason that you know oh you live in canada why would you like the beach boys you know i remember uh, for my book 
so so the book is structured that every song is a chapter um and you know every every song is discussed through the perspective of somebody different so you know i I was very blessed in terms of of who talked to me and and for example lyle lovett um talked to me about god only knows and so you know i i arranged this through his uh his manager and and when i talked to lyle he was like yeah i have to say i was really surprised that you know you up in Canada, you know, would, would be so big into the Beach Boys. And I said, I'm surprised that you from Texas would be so big in the Beach Boys, you know. But I mean, it just goes to show that, that, that the music is universal. It doesn't matter even what it's about. And I mean, it, it created, let's face it, this kind of like heavenly excitement about yeah. surfing and hot rods and stuff like that. And, you know, a lot of people saw American Graffiti and that that did it, you know, in, in movie form. So, I mean, if, if, if it's foreign to you, that's uh, that's attractive. That might be one reason also why England has always really loved the Beach yeah. Boys. You know, like they 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 spoke of their world, but they they spoke of it in, in such a vivid way that you you can't help but love it. Um, I was like six or seven when I became a Beach Boys fan, and uh, it was passed down to me from my my older cousin Tracy, who was fifteen at the time. And I used to go over there all the time. They had an eight track player, and you know they they had uh, Best of Beach Boys Volume Two, which was really you know. I, in retrospect, I'm like, why didn't they have Endless Summer? Because that that yeah. came out in 1974 and, and was such a big hit. But anyway, prior to that, really, Beach Best of the Beach Boys Volume 2 was the best collection because yeah. it had Don't Worry Baby, I Get Around, Help Me Run to California Girls, you know. So I played those songs. She put the headphones on me and, and played those songs. And I, I just instantly fell in love with them. And I kept like playing them over and over again obsessively. And uh, that was the start uh, for me. You talked about Endless Summer, which came out in the, the uh, I believe it was 74 when it came out, and that, of course, set them back to being a greatest hits band. But around that time, in the early, late 60s, even with Carl and the Pe- no, Carl and the Pesh was in the 70s, but even late 60s into the early 70s, it really diverged in terms of what they're running about introspective music and it advanced from the early days of the surf stuff. When you first listened to it, and I'm curious if there's a song where you first realized, oh, shit, this is, you know, more, much more than, you know, this basic stuff that they're writing about previously, and they're really on to something. So um, the first record that I bought, or my parents bought for me, it was one of these, uh, I don't know if you get them in the States, KTEL, it was like a Winnipeg, uh, Manitoba-based company that did all these, like, TV promotions and they had a best of the beach boys record that was advertised on tv and so it had 20 of their hits from the endless summer era although it wasn't exactly like endless summer because the interesting thing about endless summer is it excludes some of their biggest hits from the era like they have top 10 hits like uh i don't think when i grow up is on that or dance 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 or do you want to dance i mean these were big hits so uh this this record had 20 of those early hits and, and i loved it and then i wore out the groove on that one and i wanted more so i ended up getting there was an album that came out it's forgotten now but it's called good vibrations best of the beach boys came out i think in 1976 it was a fairly big success i think it went to the top 30 on the on the u.s charts but this um focused exclusively on the pet sounds to holland era mm-hmm. um so I listened to this album and I loved some of it. Uh, the pet sound stuff. I, I, I got to say that surfs up and heroes and villains were really weird to my ears. You know, when I was a little kid, they're very complicated, very long. Uh, I didn't understand them. So those ones, I mean, now I love them, but it, yeah. it, those took a while for me uh, to get used to, but that was, that was my first sort of taste of that era. And, you know, subsequent to that, I, I became obsessed with that era. The, the problem was, 
a lot of those records were out of print. Yeah, uh, they were not available um, when I was getting into it, like in in the late seventies, early eighties. Um, but the thing that sort of kept me interested. So, my cousin, who I mentioned earlier, the Beach Boys came to Montreal in nineteen seventy nine. Montreal four. I had to go. Ten years old, my first concert. My mother was worried. People smoke marijuana at those concerts, <laughs> don't they? My cousin assured my mother that she would plug my nose if there's any marijuana smoke. And, and there was. Um, but I went to see that show. And as a thank you to my mother for buying the tickets, um, my cousin Tracy gave me a copy of the David Leaf book, The Beach Boys and the California Myth. So I had that ever since I was 10 and I held on to it. And I would... I would look at it every once in a while and he'd talk about albums like Wild Honey and Sunflower. And I'm like, wow, I would, why can't I get any of these records yeah. anywhere? You know, you had to go to a record store and keep your fingers crossed that there was a copy. Couldn't find them. Eventually, uh, in the late 80s, they did become available. And it was the Wild Honey album specifically, I remember getting and just totally falling in love with. The only song mm -hmm. I knew was Darlin and I also knew Aren't You Glad because that was on their live album, Live in London or Beach Boy 69 as it's known in the US. So those are the only two songs I knew, but I, I just love that album. And that then that reignited my, my kind of obsession with with getting to hear everything. And I, I eventually found all those records from that era. And and that era, it, you know, it might mean more to me than any other era in their in their catalog. Well it, it definitely it, it, the most creative in in, in death era. Like in now the last few years, partially due because of the English copyright laws that they've had in the last few years of having to redo it or else it becomes public domain where they they had a uh, uh, surfs up the, the box set then they had the one for um sunflower where the, all this music is being re-released and now fans are really loving it and you almost wonder well what if the love that they had now was present back then speaking of Brian he he's marched on for for many years with the group after the um. 50th anniversary tour he just a few two years ago i think it was he released at my piano and of course um no peer pressure was before then so on and so forth with it looking like it's coming to an end for his solo career how do you look back on his legacy as a musician post you know i mean during his solo career but also from a grander standpoint um from music history well huge on music history i mean his solo career is just a gift to us it's it's just i mean in a way if it had never happened that's fine because what he did with the beach boys what he did between 1962 and 1965 if it had stopped right there he'd still be in the rock and roll hall of fame sure. he'd still be called a genius then you have pet sounds then you have smile and then you have all the good stuff he did like 67 to, to 73 and even even later than that like beach boys love you yeah Not everybody loves it i love it um it was, I was so happy in 19, it was like, it's been, it's been written before that the, the, the early eighties were a very depressing time sure. to be a Beach Boys fan. You know, uh, I guess they had the 1985 album, which was, was, you know, competent. It had, it had a couple of great songs on it. So that showed that they could still do something. Brian's involvement was, was, was not huge. Um, you know, the Landy stuff was starting to make some headlines, some controversial headlines. Um, but then we heard about the solo album. And when it came out, and I remember Rolling Stone magazine gave it four stars, and I, I ran out and got a copy. I just, I was, I was pumped. It was like, it had been so depressing because, you know, we never were getting to hear Smile, which had been promised for many years. 
and all of a sudden a great new Brian Wilson album. So that, that was, that was pure joy. Then he went through some more <laughs> difficulties. Like Landy started playing an even greater role in, in, in the artistic side of Brian's career. The follow-up album was never even released. Um, but then in dribs and drabs, like, you know, imagination is another mm -hmm. album that some people like, some people don't, I happen to like it. Um, all these things were a gift, you know, one album that uh, I wasn't crazy about was um, getting in over my head. Had a couple of great songs on it, but not not a not not a very good album, I thought. And then we got the news that Smile was going to come mm -hmm. out. He was going to actually re-record like a or record a, a new version of Smile. And I was like, oh man, like coming after that album is that a good idea? And I mean, that was just phenomenal. Um, mm -hmm. You know, this was this was an album that was called Album of the Year by by many big publications rolling stone included uh and then for him to to be touring at all i mean who, who would have thought brian would be fronting a touring band i mean that that that, that would have been mind-blowing i tell you when i saw him in 1979 the beach boys he, he was at the side of the stage yeah. like he was playing piano at the side of the stage he was playing piano sometimes he seemed to be more interested in like smoking and, and drinking <laughs> diet coke and I, I, you know, when I was 10 years old, I didn't understand, like, I, I understood enough to know that there was a lot of attention on Brian Wilson. You know, when I was, uh, I was there for the Brian is back era, that's when I started to become a fan. So I understood the hype around Brian, but then I would look at him on stage and I'm like, what, what's it all about? Like, why is everyone talking about Brian? And uh, for him to years later to be, to be fronting a band and to be doing all of Pet Sounds and to be doing yeah. Smile mind-blowing like now we sort of take it for granted but at the time it was just uh, we never thought we would see it so um I, I feel like we're blessed for having his uh his solo career I mean he tweeted recently that uh, this is almost a quote he said I'm busy doing nothing and it's okay uh you know quoting a couple of his song titles in there and and that's fine he's given us so much mm. um you know, he has back issues and stuff like that. Like he can, he can call it quits right now. And I feel like we've gotten more than we deserve from Brian. Sure. I never got to experience the heyday of the Beach Dragon tour in the seventies or then in the late eighties. So even if it was just him and Alan, like, well, yeah, Blondie, I guess, was, no, Blondie wasn't there for the first one. I don't think, but um, to see them all there playing with them and see the Chicago horn section was still amazing. Even if it was a light version compared to the extra um song one, um, for I'm also curious from your perspective, seeing as since he the 50th anniversary died or didn't die ended, he's gone back, of course, with Al and then Blondie came back in the um, fold of things. Then David Marks was there for a little bit after the 50th anniversary. To see him still with this man, Al Jardine, who could be fine, have just gone by himself since the 50th anniversary in the studio, still hyping his praises on stage. What's that like for you, seeing as Al, of course, has had a bigger part in the group than others, and he's maintained a voice quality unlike any other one else? I don't think Brian could really done it, could have done it as well without Al. Uh, and I remember the first show that I saw with Al back in the fold was um, in Boston. I think it was 2006. They did Pet Sounds, and... Uh, when Al Jardine walked on the stage, like people went nuts because we hadn't seen him in years. And, and he, you know, him and Mike had a lot of falling out. Um, I think it was brilliant for, for, for Brian and Al to, to reunite like that. I mean, Al's vocal chops, very strong, you know, yeah. and uh, he's maintained them and, and, and Brian's 
a little bit more challenge that way. So Al has done a lot of the heavy lifting and he added a lot to those shows. The fact that they brought back Blondie Chaplin, fantastic and totally unexpected. I mean, I, I interviewed Blondie Chaplin for my book and this was prior to the 50th anniversary. And I asked him about the 50th anniversary and he said, I would do it if they asked me. But they didn't ask him, which was, yeah. was unfortunate because he would he would have added something. Um, so, I mean, Brian and Blondie had very little connection at all, even when they were Beach Boys together. Right. Because Blondie was a Beach Boy in 72 and 73. And and Brian was like, you know, either off in his room or, or helping, you know, his wife and sister-in-law do the American Spring album part of the time uh blondie said i had no idea where brian was and blondie was out touring and brian wasn't touring at, at that time so there wasn't a strong connection there aside from the fact that, that blondie sang sail on sailor which is sure. which is legendary so great for him to bring blondie into the fold and man blondie really brings it and you yeah. know he was with the rolling stones for 10 years him and keith richards are like besties uh and he's got that keith richards vibe about him you know he would come on stage he could play guitar like none of the others could play guitar and he just brought like an energy that, so yeah, having Al and Blondie made those shows fantastic, helped Brian immeasurably. Well, and what, and as you say with Al, his voice has not changed. Granted, I'm sure recreationally, he hasn't had the same experiences as uh, Brian, Carl, or any of the- Keep like, it clean with Al Jardine. Exactly. So to see him still perform at a high level is, is so magnificent. The first concert I saw with them, I believe it was, they saying, do you want to dance? And Matt and Al helped Ryan during it. But it was so amazing because his voice is so good. And he's, uh, I'm sure, a guy who knows his own worth, but also a guy who's going to give credit where credit's due, especially if it's if it's necessary. And Blondie, I, I love him. And my father, my father loves Blondie because when you see him in concert, Blondie goes crazy on Wild Honey and Feel Flows. And he just walks around the stage and he goes crazy around Gary. Then he goes up to Brian and Brian's like staring at him not really knowing what's going on and Brian just goes crazy. And it, it, it's so funny to see him go crazy with pure rock and roll. And you see Al more of the folksy type of pop guitarist. And it's a magnificent thing. And y you're glad to see that. Cause obviously he was only there for the beach boys for a short period of time. And so, so most people don't know of that. And to see that people are still, you know, appreciative of him, not just the fans, but people within the industry, particularly Brian, and Al, regardless if they say it a lot or not, is another powerful thing. As we said, Brian's time, career is coming to an end. Would you ever see Brian's band merging with Al? Or do you think Al's operation isn't something that can be at the same level that Brian's was? It's expensive to, to take um, a group like that on the road. It's not, it's not a huge money-making proposition for anybody. Um, but I mean, yeah, I mean, Brian was carrying... Like sometimes it was, it was almost too much. Like he did a tour. Um, I don't remember the exact year. I would guess about 2001 where he was doing pet sounds in its entirety for the first time. And he carried like a whole orchestra with him. and like Van Dyke parks composed like a big orchestral intro and all this kind of stuff. And I, I can't imagine that was a big moneymaker, you know, to, to have so many musicians. He, he did it with smile, uh, which was great, you know, and smile got so much attention. Uh, I think he was filling all the houses, uh, all the houses there, uh, you know, as far as the future goes, I, I expect there will be anyone who's been involved will continue doing something. Um, I don't know how much longer Al wants to do it. He's, he's capable of doing it right now. Um, you know, and he, he gets together with, with Carney and Wendy Wilson and he's touring with them and his son, uh, Matt. So 
as to whatever scale they end up doing, I don't know. I mean, you know, maybe down the road, there'll be like a big tribute concert, you know, with <laughs> as many related people, either related by blood or people who played in the band associated with it uh, as possible. I mean, uh, we'll see. It's, it's, there's going to be something. Well, I, I'd, I'd like to see that. And it also brings up the point where you see, and I shouldn't say every backing band or touring musicians, but you see, you know, the E Street Band gets inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. You see a few other groups that I believe James Brown's band got inducted into the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. And you would love to see something like the Beach Boys where you have all the long, like the longest serving Beach Boy members over the last 60 years get inducted because they helped a lot. I mean, you look back in the late 60s, they really helped the Beach Boys. I know Joel Peskin, who played in the group in the late 60s with the Dragons and Ed Carter and Ron Brown, um, they helped out big time. And then, of course, in the 70s, they had the 17-piece band where they were really having all these different instruments and three or four different flutes or saxophones and trumpets and stuff. So it's always curious to see. And you wonder, oh, I wonder if the, this player may go to this group because it'd be beneficial. And who knows? Everyone likes Al, so you never know what could happen. But I do know that in the early 2000s when Al sort of went up on his own, it, it became tricky in terms of financial reasons. We talked about before we got going here uh, of the current version of the Beach Boys and they uh, Scott Ton after 20 years was leaving, I believe um, John Castle as as well. As we said, they brought a thing to the group that was missing for many years since Carl had died in terms of now I don't say professionalism, but you know keeping at a very high maintained level. Losing that, how much of an impact is that, even though they may have other people to fill in the shoes, is it something that should be praised more about? Well, I mean, I think Scott will leave a big hole. I, I'm not sure at this point who is going to step in as, as the musical director. I mean, they still have a bunch of great people there. Like, sure. uh, well, you know, when I went to see them last year, uh, I hope I get his name right. I think his name is Brian Eichenberger. Yeah. Uh, fantastic singer. Um I was impressed. Like there's, there's a lot of talents, you know, in that band. I don't know if they're going to bring in, you know, somebody new or, or, or just go with what they have. Um, but I, I don't know. I mean, credit to Mike. I, I, he wants to have it at a high standard. So he wants to have uh, good people around him that care. And, and I know they care. Like I, I saw them at the Cape Cod Melody tent back in 2013, hung out backstage and, you know, Scott was apologizing to him. He's like, oh, we had a sound issue. Like <laughs> this, this wasn't, the mix wasn't good. And I'm like, I didn't even really notice that. It's, it yeah. all sounded pretty good to me. But I mean, it just shows like that there is a high level of caring and professionalism yeah. in the band that surrounds uh, Mike and Bruce. So I, I assume that, you know, with whoever's there, that will that will go on as long as uh, they go on. Well, it's, it's, it's a great mix though as well. And I like Scott. Scott's another person I had on here and he, was able to actually, after we, we spoke on here, he, he got me backstage passes to go to the show I went to and spoke. And that was a, a totally interesting situation, which I can go later down the road about. And it, it's, it's a curious thing because it's one of those situations where it doesn't happen often where band members are leaving. In 90s, that happened. Early 2000s, that happened. Adrian Baker left. Phil Bardwell left. And so the moment we're in Beach Boys history, it's a, it's a big deal. Late 80s, that happened. And situations like that where it's it's a big situation although to other people it might not be but for us who really appreciate the music when you have people like uh scott and, and john it's definitely interesting situation and um they'll everyone will still be going to the shows and everything of that nature though will be a little interesting to to that extent speaking of that do you see it as the beginning of maybe winding down for the beach boys in terms of still playing or is it just a 
a bump in the road and they just go right over the speed bump and they continue on. Look, I think Mike Love is going to keep on touring as long as he can. <laughs> uh, you know, he's a very driven individual. I, I remember when I was writing my book, you know, prior to 2012 and uh, trying to set up an interview with Mike and, and dealing with his, uh, his publicist at that time. And uh, the publicist said, oh, he can't, uh, he, he can't talk for the next few days. He's spending time with his dad. I'm like his dad, Milton Love is still alive. Like I wouldn't have even thought that. I, I thought the guy must have died 50 years ago or whatever. You know, um, I think Milton Love lived to be 97 years old. Oh, so yeah. I, I think Mike's got it in the genes, and yeah. he's very driven. So I, I don't. I think as long as he can do it, he's uh, he's going to keep on doing it. You spoke about, and we, we talked about briefly the the tribute that they just said for the Grammys a, a, a short about a few weeks ago, but it was recorded a few months ago. Uh, Brian had one years, decades ago in early 2000s that was successful. They just had this one where it was a lot of current singers, not world-class, decades-long known musicians. Compared from when you uh, compared to when you finally saw it, when you first heard about it, what was your first take on it? And were you someone who was more reserved in the sense of how is this going to end up? Or were you someone who was just interested regardless? In the TV special? Yeah. I, I thought it was well done. I mean, I thought uh, they got some great artists. Uh, I thought there were some great performances. I mean, I mean to see somebody like Brandy Carlisle, who's you know one of the coolest people in music right now, like you know, you know, speaking so effusively about the Beach Boys music and and delivering these great performances. You know, uh, it was a wide variety. Like you had Nora Jones and uh, Foster the People. I, I mean, it's just great to see that so many of these different artists are interested. Uh, you know, in, in the music and happy to participate. Beck, for example. Um, and this is this is exactly what I wanted my book to be. Like, it's this, it's the same kind of principle, right? You, you, you want these artists to talk about a song. In this case, in the TV special, they're performing it. But my main point was to talk to musicians. I wanted to talk mostly to the big musicians from today who are inspired by this music. Because I think people don't realize how influential the Beach Boys are with with so many different uh, big artists. I mean, I could have gone, you know, if they were available, I could have talked to people like Taylor Swift and 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 Katy Perry and uh, you know many others, um, Bruno Mars. They've all spoken effusively about the Beach Boys. Uh, so you know, th this was my my initial point. I wanted to show that this music is timeless. It still means a lot to artists today. It's still influencing the musical scene today. It's not it's not just history. It's 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 very uh, it's very much alive. Well, it's it's another moment where it's sort of like okay, yeah, the Brian one had the Billy Joel's, the Elton Johns of the world, and this one has the current version of it where you might not have thought of, and maybe you didn't even hear some of these groups where you thought, oh, that's surprising that some of these groups were so passionate. John Lennon, of course, did a perfect job on Sail on Sailor. And it's it's a moment where it's like, oh my gosh, and of course, Michael McDowell, and I forget what the group's name was, where they did um, Don't Worry Baby. And it's it's a moment where it's like, now you're also meshing the the old with the new. Um, we talked also about Irving Azoff and now, you know, they didn't try to continue the legacy of the Beach Boys after they've all, the founding members have all passed on. And it's sort of comical question. Do you think that that showcases the potential of seeing Stars and Strips Volume 1 and Summer in Paradise being re-released since it's been over 30 years? <laughs> because we're dying for that. Yes. We're dying for it. Um, yeah. Look, I mean, neither of those albums is going to, take the world by storm i don't think anyone's like only the most hardcore of fans are, are really caring about that yeah. 
um i mean those albums like died on arrival although i, I just want to mention that on stars and stripes volume one i think there is one great track that doesn't get its due i think the version of caroline no oh is, yeah is, is quite something i think it's it's a it's a it's a classic track i mean because it gives us something the original didn't the original track was released as a brian wilson solo single and he is the only person who sings on it yeah. the beach boys are not there so this is the first time that we have it with harmonies yeah. So, so, you know, I, I don't know exactly how this all went down. My understanding is that Brian would have been in charge of the background harmonies on, on that song anyway, uh, working with Joe Thomas, his, uh, his producer. Um, I think it's beautiful. Yeah. I, I think uh, Timothy Schmidt from the Eagles gives a brilliant vocal on it. Mm -hmm. And uh, Jimmy Webb had the strings. Like people like myself might, might malign that album on the whole. That, yeah. that, that track is a keeper. Well, then you have um, "Warmth of the Sun" by Will uh, by uh, Willie Nelson, who just celebrated That's good his ninetieth. Yeah. Um, and then it wasn't Nora Jones. Why am I forgetting who sang "I Can Hear Music" on the on the album? I think it was Kathy Trickley. Right. And then um, there's another song there. There's a few good songs on there. "Sail on Sailor" um, is is an, I think a decent one, but it's another example of well, is it something that you know should have happened? You know, them uh, country stars singing their versions of the song, and I know people say maybe it should have been different way around. This year was the 60th anniversary, and 10 years ago, you wrote about your your, your book, the 50th anniversary, representing the group, uh, which we probably never thought of was ever going to happen in terms of musical history. We didn't think that they'd get, or people, I shouldn't say me, but people didn't think they were going to get back together after many years of, of separation. For you, in terms of your own enjoyment of the group, how important was it you to get out there, not just from your perspective, but in terms of music, culture, and society as well? Sorry, how important was the 50th anniversary tour? Well, no, no, writing the book, because as we said, oh. there's been lots of books that have been written about the Beach Boys from all different perspectives and albums. So for you, not just as a fan and your importance for it, but in terms of people reading it as well as other books out there. Well, that, that's exactly it. I mean, I wanted to make a point that people probably didn't appreciate. And that, that again, comes down to, to the influence of this music, you know, that that it, it, it lives and breathes today. It lives and breathes in music that a lot of, younger people like they, they don't realize you know Janelle Monet for example a very interesting progressive uh, you know R&B singer you know she used some Brian Wilson harmonies on one of her songs like you know she's she's pretty cutting edge so you know, that, that, that to me was definitely the point I mean and and the book sort of like evolved from that standpoint to why don't we talk to contemporaries of the Beach sure. Boys? So, you know, why? Because, you know, John Sebastian, he was right there with Eleven Spoonful. They were opening for the Beach Boys. So you get those kind of great stories. Roger McGuinn from the Birds. These are people I idolize, you know, and, and, and you know, they were competitive. They, they were sort of collaborative and competitive with the Beach Boys. So let's yeah. hear what they have to say. And then, you know, in the end, like, why don't we talk to the creators of the music themselves? You yeah. know, like, like not only the Beach Boys, and I was lucky in that, you know, all, all the Beach Boys who participated in, in the anniversary did talk to me, uh, plus Blondie Chaplin. Um, so they talked to me and their collaborators, the people that were in the studio, mm -hmm. Hal Blaine, Carol Kay, uh, Tony Asher, who wrote, who wrote the lyrics to Pet Sounds, you know, I mean, they, they all deserve their, their claim of, of this legacy. Like the Beach Boys didn't do it alone. It's music is a very collaborative art form, you know, and they certainly benefited from, from the input of, of, of all these, uh, all these other people.
And what I like though about the book, and I mentioned this when we got going and before I count counted down, we we officially started, is that unlike other books, which it, it's it's okay, nineteen sixty one. This is when the group's kind of first starting all the way to the end. It's a song, and they're describe you're describing the setting of the song, the setting of the times for the Beach Boys, and sort of what the song is about in your opinion. But then also the musician that wanted to speak about the song is sharing their take on the whole atmosphere and the time period as well. And it definitely keeps it more interesting than a historical thing of, okay, at this point they did this more of like a, okay, like a facts book, fact book or something of that nature. When you went about the way you did, where you're asking these musicians to give their take on a song, is that a situation that really helps you get these people to do it? Cause of course, as I said, there've been lots written about the beach boys. So did, how you presented the book helped you better off get these guests to, to speak about it, especially the Beach Boys himself. Yeah, I mean, it, it's hard. It's harder at the beginning, you know, because these people don't know who I am because I'm not I'm not. Although I have written published articles about music, I'm mostly known you know, for writing about film and television, so they don't know who I am. This is my first book. So, you know, it's tough at first getting people. To, believe me, the hardest part of the whole book was getting the interviews, like lining them up. Um, but, you know, you, you, you target the right people, the people that you think will care about what you're writing about. And, and then you go from there. For me, one of the first ones, aside, <coughs> excuse me, aside from insiders and, and band members, was uh, Randy Bachman. So Randy, of course, like was in the Guess Who, who played shows with the Beach Boys. And he ended up having a collaboration with Carl Wilson on the Keeping the Summer Alive album. They wrote that titled song and another song off that album. And he's Canadian. He was here in Toronto like me. And, um, you know, you have all these gatekeepers you have to get through, you know, all these publicists. And so Randy has um, a radio show on CBC here, uh, Randy's Vinyl Tap, I think it's called, where he, he just, you know, talk stories about music and play songs, which, which he's great at doing. Um, and so I asked the publicist, you know, would, would Randy like to talk about this? And, and she was giving me this attitude, like, why are you like bothering me with this? Like, this is like, you know, <laughs> this is not, not in my, my bailiwick at all. Yeah. So I felt kind of brushed off. And then like, I get like an email a couple of weeks later, like, Oh, actually Randy's really excited about your idea and he would love to talk to you. Here's his home phone number. Here's his cell phone number. Give him a call. <laughs> so Randy became a real ally um, with me throughout this process, sure. you know, um, to the point where not only did he like, you know, we talk for, for the book, but I mean, we went backstage together for the 50th anniversary tour when it came here in Toronto, like me and Randy Bachman hanging, hanging out with the Beach Boys at my book launch. He was on stage with me. So you know, you, you, you really at the mercy of, of, of certain people taking you seriously, like, yeah. like Randy did. So then, you know, I had this chapter with Randy that was, that was pretty good. Cause he had good stories. This helped me get an agent. Um, and you know, once you have an agent, then you're approaching publishers who will take you seriously. Uh, so yeah, so I had that in my pocket. Um, also we, we talked about uh, Pacific ocean blue and it's yeah. re-released in 2008. So you know, being the Dennis Wilson fanatic that I was, I pitched Canada's biggest newspaper, the Toronto Star, on a feature about this re-release. And they were like, yeah. So I did this whole big feature about Dennis. And I, I knew David Leaf. We could talk about that later. But I knew David Leaf already. But so I interviewed for this story him. 
uh, indie musician Adam Marsland, who's who's recorded a great album, um, live album of, of Beach Boys covers. Um, and of course, to promote, you know, the, the release, Jim Gersio, who was, yeah. you know, he was their manager at, at the time. He he spoke to me and Greg Jacobson, who was Dennis's yeah. best friend who and co-writer and co-producer and all this. So, you know, I had already made an impression with them. So I invited them all back. I, I called them two years later and I'm like, actually, I'm going to write a book, you know, mm-hmm. for the, for the 50th anniversary. And so it's just, you know, you get this kind of like mass uh, that grows and grows. And uh, then, then you approach, you know, some big musicians say, well, I have all these interviews. Uh, here's a chapter. And uh, as I said, I feel very lucky in terms of who did end up talking with me. Well, it's definitely a tough process, I'm sure, because you really bank on the fact that you hope to gain contact with them because they're, as you said, gatekeepers who are the ones managing their day to day operations or things that they're going to do. So if, if that didn't work with getting all these people to interview, whether they're super famous or not, and talk about a song, was there ever a backup plan in terms of what the book would then be if you couldn't get these individual interviews? You know, if Paul McCartney, if his uh, manager says no, then I move on to the next one. You know, there's there's no shortage of people. In in fact, like even though you know, fifty people sounds like a lot to have in this book, each talking about a song. I mean, I feel bad because there's other people that sure. would have been really good to include as well. So I, I had ne- I'd never come to the point where like, oh my god, I've like run out. I mean, the key was getting the Beach Boys, and sure. the fact that you know, and that didn't come right away, but you know, the fact that I got that their buy-in was huge. Sure. I, I want to mention that, and you you said you've said this before in, in other situations where there are artists who would mention this, who'd want to talk about a song that was already talked about. Uh, let's say Joe Schmo says, "Oh, good vibrations," and then Tom Tom uh, Tom Jones wants to talk about good vibrations as well. So it's sort of like, okay, you gotta cancel that out and talk about another song. Or there's some artists who talk about a song, but you you didn't put in the book. So for you planning that out, how much of a hurdle was that after you were able to? put this plan through concrete and plan it out and then get in contact with these people. Surprisingly, that part wasn't as hard as you might think because organically people wanted to talk about different songs. Like I was, I was surprised. I would say the one song that the most people wanted to talk about was I get around, which is interesting because I think to, to an older generation, this was, this was the song. Like this was the song that put them on the top of the charts and not only at the top of the charts, but in 1964, when the Beatles had ruled, yeah, you know, for the early part of the year, then all of a sudden the Beach Boys are back. They've been usurped on Capitol Records by the Beatles, and now they're back and they're number one. So they sure. can they can go toe to toe with with the Beatles. And this was such a such an upbeat song, such a fun song. Um, I think John Sebastian of the Love and Spoonful would have liked to have spoken sure. about that song because he has on other occasions said this is like Bach. Like you might think I'm crazy, but this is like Bach if you break yeah. it down. Uh, Alice Cooper said to me, "I get around is probably the best single that was ever released." You know, so to so to that generation, that that that's a big song. So that was the one where there it was a bit crowded. But I mean, Alice Cooper was happy to speak about "In My Room." John Sebastian was happy to talk about "Surfer Girl." There's no shortage of great songs. Yeah. Other than that, there there was very little crossover. I, I lost one great interview though as a result of this problem because I did a chapter on the song "Forever." beautiful Dennis ballad. And, and of course, if Greg Jacobson, who wrote the lyrics, you know, wants to talk about that, I got to give it to him. Right. So he, he was great to talk about that. So I had gotten in touch with Dave Davies from the Kinks. Now the Kinks is another band I'm I'm quite obsessive with. 
And uh, I was excited just to be emailing back and forth with him. And and that's the song that he wanted to talk about. But I'm like, oh, sorry, Dave, you know, the, the, the guy that co-wrote the song wants to speak about. It. Is there anything else that, that you'd like to speak about? And then it just we sort of lost touch. So that, yeah, that, yeah. that one got away. But but generally, I was surprised that there's a lot of different songs people want to talk about. Or I would approach them about a particular oh, song yeah. because, for example, Tony Asher you know, wrote the lyrics for most of the songs on Pet Sound. So obviously he's going to talk about a Pet Sound song, but uh, it, it was it was an interesting part of the process. Spe- uh, with the book and speaking to these people, you know, the, the chapters are, are just about the song. And since there's 50 of them, they're short chapters. It's not like it's 25, 30 pages. So you can get a lot of out, out of the book, limiting yourself to that amount of, of description of the song in that period. Was that a challenge as well, or was that something that you were looking to do for the books so you could have as much of the 50 years as you can? It was pretty organic. Like I, I, did, I didn't really put any limits on myself in terms of, you know, how, how long I wanted each chapter to be. But I think, you know, I did pare it down a little bit in the editing stages just because I wanted to keep the chapters in as much in the time frame of the song as possible. I mean, of course, you know, if you're talking about a modern musician, who, who's discussing an older song, you're going to have to talk about their modern career. But as far as, you know, the, the, the element of description of the song, I, I wanted to keep it in that ear as much as possible sure. or else the whole thing starts to sort of meander all over the place. So um, it was just sort of having my editor's hat on and, 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 and not, not you like limiting my verbiage to what is really necessary. I'm sure you've been asked this before and you, you probably have and have already uh, been down this path in terms of saying, uh, I don't know. But a lot's happened both on stage and, of course, off stage as well within the last 10 years since the book has been released. How much has your brain been stimulating in the terms of playing a rough draft together mentally of what's happened? Or are you someone who is satisfied with just that one book that you wrote about them? Well, you know, a few people were saying, so where's your uh, 60 sides of the Beach Boys yeah. for the 60th anniversary? Um, yeah, I mean, you're right. The story, the story did not end. You know, the, the, the whole 50th anniversary tour had yet to happen, you know, when I finished my book. And I think it would have been really nice if the last chapter had perhaps been, uh, that's why God made the radio, you know, their, uh, their album that did quite well at, at the time of their, their reunion tour. Cause that was certainly a big thing. Sure. Um, Beyond that, I mean, I guess there's a lot of story, but there's not a lot of music. Yeah. Uh, that was that was really it, you know. I mean, Brian has had some solo stuff, but uh, you know, the 50th anniversary was kind of it wasn't the end, but it was kind of a great way to cap it off, you know. Like, sure. here's a band that I think did so much wrong, they could have like curated their image much better than they did. Yeah. They could have played to their strengths a lot more than they did. Um, but the 50th anniversary tour, you know, although people wanted it to go on, I think was great. I I think it was great having them all there. I mean, what a generous song list they had. I mean, they were doing, if not 50 songs, pretty close to it every night, you know, um, great visuals in the background. You know, they, they sort of cherry picked members from Brian's band and Mike's band, um, so that's, that's wonderful. That, that's, you know, that's a yeah, pretty yeah. happy memory to have as sort of like the last, last gasp of greatness for, for those guys together. 60 years under, uh, under the bridge is a lot of water. How do you want to, the Beach Boys to be remembered 
not just from your perspective as a writer, but as a fan of the music after everything they've gone through, positively and negatively? Yeah, I just want, you know, I don't want people to be dismissive of it as they have in the past. Like, oh, it's it's silly or it's lightweight. Like, it's about surfing. It's it's fun, fun, fun. Like, there's yeah. not a lot of a lot of depth to it. But I, I think largely we're, we're beyond that, finally. Like, I think it has taken you know, the accumulation of, of many re-releases and, 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 and things to, 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 for people to understand. Like, I think people understand who Brian Wilson is. I don't think people necessarily understood properly Brian's role in the group. I didn't, as, as I said, when I was a yeah. little kid, uh, I was like, I, who cares who wrote the songs? I just care about who sings the songs. Sure. That was kind of my attitude at first. Um, so I think we're there and I think that's got to continue. I think it's got to be curated properly. It's got to be managed properly. Uh, I, I think people, as I said, this younger generation, I see it. Like I see teenagers even who, uh, who love this music and take it very seriously. Like they don't, when I was a teenager, like I had this point where I sort of like rebelled against it, sure. you know, like there was a point, I think now it's kind of cool to say you like the beach boys. It was not cool when I was a yeah. teenager. So I, I was, I sort of kept my Beach Boys fandom at, at bay as I got sure. into other things. Like, like maybe if you were into the older stuff, it would be Velvet Underground or something, yeah. you know, like that. Um, but I remember I had a friend when I was in college who, he was, who was still, you know, into the music and he wanted to borrow some records uh, from me. And I remember... I was like, oh shit. Okay. So I, I brought the records in like a, in a, in a plastic bag. You know, I didn't want anyone to see what it, I was so self-conscious because like people, people didn't understand. People thought it was very uncool. And, and I, I didn't even like it when my friend took them out of the bag, like in public, yeah. I'm like, put that back, you know, yeah. <laughs> which is ridiculous in retrospect, you know, for somebody that loved the music so much when I was younger. And then, and then, you know, again, like when I heard wild honey and they started releasing the stuff on CD and, and, and you just realize that this music is eternal. And I'm like, well, that's, that's just silly. You know, and I think maybe there still are some people who, who are thinking the way I thought when I was a teenager, yeah. but uh, I think we're eating away at that. And, and, and I hope we continue to do so. Before we end here, Trey, and again, Mark, I, I can't begin to thank you enough for coming on. I want to end on a little game. Usually it's called one more challenge, but this one is called all this is that for the um, song title. So in this segment, I'll throw out a few, uh, I'll throw out two things and you have to choose either this or that. Um, Whatever it may be. So if you're ready, we'll go get we'll get going. Oh, I'm ready. Uh first one, sunflower or surfs up? Surfs up. Uh Carl and the Passion So Tough or Holland? Holland. Now this one, it may be a little tough one since they're not on the same degree to an extent, but Blondie Chaplin or Ricky Fatar? Oh, that's just mean. Uh <laughs> because he spoke to me for my book, Blondie Chaplin. Uh Tony Asher or Van Dyke Parks. Oh. Tough. Uh, we'll go with Van Dyke on that one, just because I love Smile. Yeah, and the in the last one, the Brian Wilson tribute show or the Beach Boys a recent tribute show. Uh, the Brian Wilson Radio City Music Hall show. Well, I certainly agree to that, and luckily it's on YouTube, and we can watch that. And it's it's just it's a marvelous thing that all all these years later they're still cruising as the song goes. Well, Mark, I want to say thank you so much for taking the time to speak for me for just over an hour it truly means a great deal as i said when we got going to have a piece of content like this 50 sides of the beach boys the songs that tell the stories it, it's definitely of quality especially with all the other products out there that talk with music so thanks for doing this thanks so much nolan i had a great time 
Well, if you all enjoy this, because who the hell went down the line when he gets inducted into the uh, Canada Writing Hall of Fame, whatever <laughs> the case may be, you're going to say, holy shit, I subscribe. So subscribe, comment, share, all the fun jazz, because it really helps the show, of course. And I know Marcus, that's the first thing that is on his mind to tell everybody back home in, in Canada. Follow on social media, Twitter, Known Car Night Show, Known Car Night Instagram, Known Car Night Show. 